I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. The main event is a Chicago Conjurer who's sharing the magic of his mentor. Tom Doberwolski is my guest. We talk about his mentor, Jim Ryan, his turn on the Bozo the Clown Show, and a lot more. Nick Lacapo stops by the show to discuss the feature product of the week from John George. Before all of that, we kick things off with one of my favorite quickfire segments, where your favorite magicians contemplate life on an island with only one magic book that they could bring. This week, Henry White joins me for Desert Island Magic Books. Henry White, thanks so much for joining us here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for Desert Island Magic Books. Let's suppose you wash up on a desert island with one magic book, and it's made of Tyvek, so it's not going to fall apart in the wind and the rain and the sand. What is your Desert Island Magic Book? I've always loved uh, Ricky Gervais' answer to this question, which is the giant inflatable book of cra- of water raft making. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the perfect answer. Um, I, I have an interesting relationship with reading magic books, and I've always kind of not been a huge lover of magic books, but mm-hmm. I suppose... The book that's kind of got me furthest through, and the book I keep coming back to, is something like Maximum Entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, The Show Doctor. But I think if I was stranded with one book, I would carry the book that I hate because I want to love it. So I'd get a book that I'm not a big fan of, not because I don't like the the uh, magic inside, not because I don't like the artist, it's just a book that I've never particularly loved, and it's Mnemonica. I've never learned any stack work. I've <sighs> never learned. So I'm bringing a book that I don't like yeah. because I want to like it. I have a different relationship with Monica because I want to learn stack work and I just cannot get the stack to stick in my head. Uh, so it's it's one of those things, because I know how powerful the tool can be if I ever get it to stick in my head, but I can't. So I own the book. I even have it autographed by Juan himself. Me too. Uh, and, and I just, I, and I've tr- and I want to do the stuff in there, but I just can't get it to stick in my head. Why don't you like stack work? Um, you can find any card in a deck in less than two seconds if you're mm-hmm. competent at magic. And what Stackwork allows you to do is go from finding a card in two seconds to one second. Now, I'm all for efficiencies in Magic, Mm -hmm. and there are great lengths I'll go through to get quicker or faster at something. But for me, is is the burden of having to know the position of every card and preserving those cards as much of a sacrifice for the tiny 20% efficiency on how quickly I can find a card? No. And I know that there's lots of built-in features to many stacks, not just Tamaris, but Aronson and everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen anybody use the built-in features of any stack. They just tend to find them. And I'd love to use the built-in features, but ultimately, stack work has just never appealed to me. But I want to love it, because I think yeah. it's like there is no doubt in the world that knowing the position and order and location of every card in the deck, of course, is an advantage in the same way that, that a marked deck is an advantage. But I don't use a marked deck every time, and most of your listeners probably don't use a marked deck every mm-hmm. time. But I'd like, to, I'd like to explore that advantage. And I think being trapped on a desert island is possibly the only way whereby I'm actually going to explore that possibility. I think it's interesting that you do note that most stack workers don't use the feature of the stack. Because I, I would argue that the stack workers that I have seen work, the only people who use the features are the people that created the stack themselves. Every time. Because I, I've seen Woody use the features of his stack, but I've seen people who use Woody's stack never uses features, and it's the same with Patrick Redford and and arguably with Monica and Tamarez. And that is that is fascinating because people extol the virtues, but they ne- you never see people use those virtues. Absolutely. And the other thing as well is, like, if you just want to know the position of all the cards, then just throw your cards on the floor, pick them up, and memorize them, because you're full magicians with it, if that's your thing, mm-hmm. which it usually is, even though people say they don't. Mm-hmm. You're full magicians with it because they don't recognize the stack, and you're the only one that knows it. So it's your little secret. But if you do want to use the built-in features, then yeah, go for whoever, 
whoever's material you like the most. But Mnemonica seems like it, it. It's just one of those quintessential books. And I know it's probably like a generic answer, but I wanted to give a generic answer for a non-generic reason. I really appreciate this answer because wanting to learn, wanting to love something that you already don't is, uh, to me, that is what this segment is all about, is is taking this thought experiment and, and sending it in different ways. And I, I love that answer. And we've been able to talk about stack work in a non-traditional way, which has been a lot of fun. Henry, thanks so much for joining us here on Desert Island Magic Books. No worries, can I get off this island now, please? (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks to Henry White for joining me on the show. Be sure to pick up his Penguin Live Act, which is now available for pre-order on Penguin's website. Go check it out. It's an incredible lecture full of some magic that you are going to want to do. Now, on to the main event. Tom Dobrowolski has been a mainstay of the Chicago magic scene for more than 40 years. He regularly rubs elbows with some of the finest thinkers of magic, and he was a student of the legendary Chicago bar magician Jim Ryan. Jim's magic was well known all over the Chicago land area, and he was particularly known for his visual pieces that the patrons of the bar loved. Tom presented a lecture of some of Jim's best work to a sold-out audience at the P3 Magic Theater, and then sat down with me to share a little bit more about the incredible magic that Jim created, and now you get to join our conversation. Tom Dobrowolski, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. This is unfortunately delayed, right. because you came and did a wonderful lecture that is, is out now on the magic of Jim Ryan, your, your friend and mentor, yep. and then you and I made plans, because I was coming to the Chicago Magic Lounge, and right. I was going to... Because you were in a tight turnaround, I was going to come to the Chicago Magic Lounge, interview you in Chicago about right. Chicago and Jim Ryan, and you went to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> thank you very much for letting me know. Yeah, what what, uh, what it was, as you know, I was working on this, uh, you know, that I've yeah. been wanting to do this lecture for years, 20 years. And uh, we, we scheduled it, and then at the same time, I had been putting off a trip to Hawaii. I go a lot of times, so I have yeah. friends down there. And uh, uh, it just so happened that the two were coinciding about the same time, and I, mm-hmm. I decided to leave like the day after, uh, two day. I, <laughs> when we filmed Saturday, I left like Monday. Yeah. And uh, the reason I did that was uh, at this. I'm telling you this for the first time, so yeah. I'm airing dirty laundry here. But I figured I really wanted it to go well. So I figured mm-hmm. if it went well, it'd be great. I'd want. It, I'd be real happy and we get on there happy. <laughs> but if it tanked for some reason, I'd want to get out of town. So oh, I yeah. figured either way was good. Fortunately, I hope and I think it went well. I think, I mean, you know, as we're recording this, the first review has come out. It's already a five-star review. And I really enjoyed the lecture. And I've been seeing the response to, like, people excited to see this lecture. I I think the conversation should begin with um, what is Chicago-style magic? Because it, it, I find it fascinating. It's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite things about going to the Chicago Magic Lounge is you actually do get to see Chicago style magic, which is as specific a genre as the Spanish school or yeah, what's absolutely. going on in Tokyo and those things. Please give some insight into yeah, that. So, so uh, you're absolutely right. And um, it's uh, uh, it's really just a, it's a very direct style of magic. So the effects are really direct and clear. They're usually pretty quick. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are some more longer involved routines, but they're usually they're pretty quick. And they're, you, it's always fun and a lot of fun with the mm-hmm. routines. There's a lot of jokes. There's a lot of, and there's a ton of interaction with the audience. It's it's it. I always think of Chicago style magic as something that was developed in bars and restaurants. It absolutely was because yeah. it was. So I think Shulians was the first. Shulians was one. There was a number of uh, magic bars. Shulians was the most well known mm-hmm. of the magic bars and one of the oldest. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, uh, the other there was a bunch of small individual bars. There were some in the city. There were some in the suburbs. So mm-hmm. like uh, Marshall Brodeen, who did the TV magic kits and stuff, who passed away not long ago, was a very influential magician. Worked in uh, some of them in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And uh, Johnny Paul, who eventually moved to Las Vegas mm-hmm. and worked in Las Vegas, 
uh, had a magic bar. Senator Crandall, these are names some probably most people won't know, had a, I, a magic bar. These I, are names that people have, like, heard of, but they've yeah. never, like, they know Senator Crandall, but they don't know, like, the work, yeah. right? Or the, yeah. and, and, but uh, that was all developed in Chicago. It was, and the New York Lounge, of course, mm-hmm. is the most famous with Heba Heba Al, and then Bill Malone did up, mm-hmm. ended up working there. Bob Sheets worked there. So uh, that was more of a more current, recent one. And uh, there were some others that had opened and closed over the years. And, of course, Jim Ryan had one from 1933 to 1953, the Magic Tap was uh, the name of his uh, magic bar. Did you ever get to work in the Magic Tap with Jim I Ryan? did not. I was, I'm not that old. I was born in 59. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I was, uh, I'm, I'm just curious because yeah. I know that you were friendly with Jim Ryan for I a was, long time, and I, I, I didn't really know when the dates coincided. Yeah, so I met him in the 1980s when he was in his 80s. So mm-hmm. it's was, uh, it was, uh, the local Magic Club, which is a pitch again for Magic Clubs and mm-hmm. looking for mentors and in going to live events and meeting other magicians. He was a member of the local Society of American Magicians, and mm-hmm. I joined the uh, the the club. Knew of Jim, of course, from the Chicago area. Then when his books came out, which was um, I want to say I think 19. 19- Late 70s, maybe early 80s, the four little books that they wrote Mm -hmm. on his magic. And I picked them up, and uh, I learned a trick out of one of the books. And I talked about it in the lecture, the first trick I knew in the lecture. is the first trick that I learned out of his books to show him. Mm -hmm. And I showed him that trick. And uh, he was – Jim loved to teach – he loved magic. He loved to teach magic, and he Mm -hmm. loved to be around magic. So when I showed him that, he was very pleased and happy that somebody was learning the material and doing it. And that's really what springboarded our friendship and Mm -hmm. relationship. Then not long after that, he invited me to come out to the house one evening, and then we ended up traveling to some conventions together and the club meetings, and there was an IBM ring in the area that was named after Jim. So I'd bring he and his wife and daughter to the meetings. And so the friendship just really sprang from there and the mentorship. How how did you come to end up working on a project that would share his magic because because his stuff was published it was it was it never been put on video before correct and i I think that was the impetus for this particular lecture it absolutely was you you nailed it um what uh so the impetus for the project was the the books were written and uh they uh, some of the materials was written up it was written up as well it was written up well but it wasn't as accurate as it really was. I mean, they, they wrote it with Jim's, and Jim was involved in the whole nine yards, but there was a little bit of different different things that could be. And also, the way it was written, because it was pretty bare bones written, and uh, if you knew Jim, you could hear and see some of the stuff they did, but if you didn't, you mm-hmm. wouldn't understand really what the magic was all about. It didn't come to life off of the page. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two reasons I really want to do this, first of all, Jim used to, he loved to share his magic, and he hoped that his magic would live on. That's why he wrote the books. He taught magic classes at a junior college in the area, and he took on other students, and a lot of times he was disappointed that they would learn specific things they wanted to, and then they would move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Gertner, though, and Tom Mullica both were very influenced by Jim and were very close to Jim, too, and did some of his material, particularly Tom Mullica. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I met both of them through Jim. What, yeah. what, uh, what was Mullica doing? So Mullica did, the, one of the effects I didn't do in the lecture that uh, uh, Jim used to always do is LaPaul's Multiple Discovery, where was he had four cards selected and they would find the four cards. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Mullica also did a version of the Jim's Cards Across, his mm-hmm. handling, or his, it was the same handling with his presentation. And he also did Jim's Torn Bill. Oh, wow. So he did those three. And in his bar in Atlanta, he had a picture of Jim. On the wall, and I at home have a, po- a picture of Jim. He did a, a weekend honoring Jim at his bar, and had 
at the time, a guy that, again, most people won't remember, but Ed Harris, who did a lot of magic illustrating back mm-hmm. in the day, had drawn a picture of Jim and Tom Mullica, and he signed it to Jim. So they were very close. The cards across, by the way, for anyone listening to this, is if you if you get the uh, a Penguin lecture these days, especially one that I've hosted, there's a thing I do called the Quick Pick, where I, I basically pick out my favorite trick from the lecture and have it sort of sliced out of the lecture so you can just start learning it right away. Because that's a question I get all the time, sure. especially whenever I took this over. Was, oh, what's the, what's the trick in this lecture that I I've got to get to so they can skip to it. So that's how I just started doing this. And the cards across is my favorite thing. I was, yeah. I was actually, I recently changed the card, the, some of the cards across that I do in order to use Jim's method, which is, which is just so good. Yeah. And you don't know how happy that would make Jim. I mean, yeah. right. I just, yeah. He'd be beaming to know yeah. that, that it lived on. So, and then the, uh, so I wanted the material to get out the right way. And I wanted people to get an opportunity to see the magic live. Sorry to interrupt, but this week the show is brought to you by Beyond Perfect ESP from John George. Nick Lacapo joined me via Zoom to discuss this practically perfect prediction effect. Nick, I think that one of the things that Uh, has really intrigued both of us lately is the ESP matching effect. And one of the first ones that I was introduced to was by my buddy, John George, uh, beyond perfect ESP. This is a really, really cool demonstration of this particular effect. I'm a big fan. Yeah, Yeah. you're right. I feel like it has been a trick that has fallen on a lot of people's radars over the last two years. The effect is pretty simple. I mean, it uses ESP cards, but essentially you could use, you know, any card, just a little bit more spooky with tarot or ESP or whatever. But in general, um, the the effect is you have five ESP cards, the circle, cross, wavy line, square, and star. And your spectator also has those same cards. And you place, you, you put one of those cards face down on the table and then your spectator places one down on the table. The important thing here is that you are always putting a card on the table down before they are. So you place all five cards down on the table and then you turn them over and you show that you have predicted which card they would place in each position with 100% accuracy. Um, This is a kind of like a plot that in my own just brief study of it is seems to be pretty modern within the last like, you know, the modern touches on it are pretty new within the last 20 years or so. And what, what um, John George has here is one of my favorite methods to accomplish this trick, because uh, I mean, this is, again, this is one of these plots where you can go a lot of different ways on it. But what John has here is that in every case, when you do this trick, all five cards match, which isn't the case with, with all of the other types of routines that are out there. Um, So you'll get all five cards matching every single time. Uh, and it's a it's a real fooler. And the you know the other thing is so this is a gimmick that allows you to do this, uh, and there's no adjustment because in some of right. the like non gimmick yeah. versions you have to do like a slight to adjust the uh, one one or more of the yep. cards, or you have to do you have to do something a little sneaky, which is usually not terribly hard. But John eliminates all of that, and so you really can focus on on demonstrating how the cards perfectly match, how it's very hands-off. I mean, this thing fooled Jeff McBride. Cody Fisher uses this at every one of his gigs. I mean, this is a very, very solid piece. You get everything you need to perform, and their cards are different colors too. So like the, the, mm-hmm. they have yeah, the red, red cards, red you've blue. got blue cards. I mean, there's, it's very clear that nothing's like standing in for anything else here. Yeah. This is a, this is a fantastic routine. Uh, and it's the one that got me started 
Mm-hmm. On, the, on the ESP matching effects. And, you know, if you do like it, I mean, there's just a whole other world of that plot out there, which is fun to explore. But what John has here is, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's Beyond Perfect, Eric. Beyond Perfect ESP by John George. Check it out. That was Beyond Perfect ESP by John George, available at penguinmagic.com. As always, the incredible listeners to this podcast receive 25% off the featured product of the week when they enter the special discount code at checkout. This week, that code is SYMBOLS. That's SYMBOLS, S-Y-M-B-O-L-S, for 25% off Beyond Perfect ESP by John George. That code is only good for Beyond Perfect ESP and only good until the next episode of this show airs. Now, back to my conversation with Tom Dobrowolski. So, and then the, uh, so I wanted the material to get out the right way and I wanted people to get an opportunity to see the magic live mm-hmm. and as close to how he did it as possible. I didn't want to try and do a character impersonation of Jim, mm-hmm. but I wanted to use his methods, but give the feel of Jim. And mm-hmm. as I say at the beginning of the lecture, um, he used to always start his performances and his lectures for magicians with, let's just have some fun. Yeah. So I wanted to try and get that essence out, the audience involvement, the fun that was involved with his magic. It, the magic is really good and really well executed. He was yeah. good. It wasn't that it was bad magic just with a bunch of jokes thrown in. It's strong magic executed well uh, and with having a lot of fun. I think that sort of takes me back to like what is so indicative of, of Chicago magic is that this, this thing that it was created in restaurants and bars and I think that that kind of magic is very interesting because we throw around the term commercial a lot, right. but really what it is, is it's stuff that can be done in environments where people are. Yeah, absolutely. Where I think there's a lot of magic that is created today that works very well in a formal environment or on a stage, or you've got to be seated or you have to have certain conditions, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of the magic that comes out of Chicago, because it was created to be performed in a bar or a restaurant, when you go to do that trick... It's already been done a thousand times in, a, in an environment where most hobbyists usually perform. Agree. And it also forces you to be authentic in front of the audience yeah. where you are. So yeah. that's the other thing, too. It forces you to do what you should be doing, which is communicating who you are and be you know, authentic in mm-hmm. what you're performing. So. so we weren't able to do this in the lecture, and I, I do want to put you on the spot a little All bit. Right. But because of your friendship with Jim... Are there any stories about Jim's performing that you can share with us that you, you may not have told in the lecture because we were trying to convey his magic and teach things? Right. But this is this is really where those kinds of stories belong. Yeah. Uh, my favorite story, though, has to be, and I might have told in the lecture too, it has to be with his uh, torn bell because he used to love to tell the story. Oh, I don't know this story. Okay. And even if it is in the lecture and I'm just not remembering it correctly, I don't care. I want to yeah, hear it this now. Is, this is my favorite Jim story because he used to love to tell this in, in, in story, story. But So when yeah. you see the lecture, if you have the opportunity to see the lecture by lecture his torn bell is great and the the key to his torn bell it looks unbelievably clean but the uh, the, the what made it so much fun in jim was that he never really resolved it so mm-hmm. it wasn't like he tore the bell and it was inside an orange or a lemon or <laughs> he would reproduce the bell and they would get it back at the end of the evening yeah. but he wouldn't like do it right away so uh when he had the bar he had uh, a neighborhood uh, dad came in uh, now you got to remember this is in like 30s 40s and 50s so kids yeah. could go into bars so he said uh, the, the good old days the good as old we call days. them exactly yeah so he said his son was saving up a bunch of money and he wanted to get like a $20 bill have a $20 mm-hmm. bill and uh, so uh, the kid had done a bunch of chores and all this said the $20 bill so the dad uh, set this up ahead of time with Jim he went in the bar and he said hey I'm going to have him come in I'm going to we'll order a couple of cokes mm-hmm. I'll tell him I forgot my wallet just pay you know cuz he's so proud he carried the $20 mm-hmm. bill around with him he said 
go to pay it, uh, go give it to Ryan to pay him. Mm-hmm. He won't be able to make change because that's a lot of money. They won't have that much money there. So we'll get the Cokes for free. So, uh, and he set this up with Jim ahead of time. Yeah. So you see what's coming, right? So, uh, yeah. Well, first of all, teaching a child larceny, which is, <laughs> again, the good old okay, days. Okay, it's the good old days. And it is Chicago. <laughs> yeah. So let's say, yeah. So uh, they go into the bar, Jim, so go in the bar, and the, uh, they come up, and the dad says, oh, how you doing? And the, the kid's like, oh, you know, hi, Mr. Ryan, blah, blah. Well, we'll have two Cokes, sir. You know? And uh, he, he goes, the dad goes, oh, I forgot my wallet. Uh, you know, here, pay, pay Mr. Ryan that money. So the kid takes, you know, proudly takes out the $20 bill, reaches over, hands it to Jim. Jim picks up the bill, looks at it, and goes, oh, I think this is one of those fake ones. And he starts to fold it like yeah. you do, and then he tears it. He goes, yeah, that's one of the fake ones. And he said he looked down at this kid who was, uh, you know, I think he says like about 10-year-old kid. Yeah. He said he looked at him with these eyes, and then he just became enraged. And the kid literally, he said, jumped up on and over the bar and started <laughs> to jump on Jim and started to pound on him with his fists. Oh, that's hilarious. And he said everybody, including Jim, said everybody in the bar just burst out laughing because they knew what was happening. And, of course, he gave the kid the bill back. Oh, that's so but funny. that's my favorite Jim story because if you knew Jim, and you can mm-hmm. see, and you can tell – some by the pictures you see, I've yeah. posted and you've seen of him. He was just a fun, gregarious yeah. guy. So you can see it just, you know, a lot of fun. So that's my favorite. Jim it's, story. A, it's a great, it's a great story and yeah. a great lecture. Now I got, I got a question because I want to yep. shift topic uh, mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, you've been a mainstay in the Chicago magic scene for 30 years, 40 years, uh, about 40 years, 40 I, years. Yeah. Yeah. About 40 years. And I think yeah. you mentioned earlier, you performed on Bozo the Clown oh, there show. There you go. There you go. I did at Bozo Circus. What, yeah. what was that? I mean, cause so, I mean, like I was a kid when, Bozo the Clown was yeah. on television, yeah. right? I mean, because yeah. he started syndicated in Chicago, and then it like sort of grew to a national. It did. Thing, right? There were other Bozos in other parts of the country, but Chicago, because it was the station it was on, was a super station at the time. Yeah. it was broadcast out a lot further. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that he was probably one of the best known. It was so popular that in Chicago. To get tickets, people would order tickets either when they got pregnant or when the kid was born, knowing that it would take years, like up to wow. 10 years before they would get seats to the show. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, what, what did you do on the show? So I did Magic, and the first, I did a series of shows for uh, Brookfield Zoo, which is a world-renowned zoo, mm-hmm. zoological park in the suburbs of Chicago. And they had something they were starting called uh, Holiday Magic. So they hired me to do Magic. So mm-hmm. the first time I went on and did uh, uh, Holiday Magic you know, for them, and then they asked me back again, like a couple years later, when I did the Holiday Magic, and I performed on there. So I performed on there a couple times. And the the one joke I uh, use, they, so they used to use a lot of magicians and variety mm-hmm. acts on the show. So a bunch of guys in Chicago had done it. But um, the, the the line, the joke I used at the time, which I thought was funny too, is when I came out and they introduced me, I said, you know, I've always wanted to come to the show. I couldn't get tickets, so I decided to learn a few magic tricks and try and get on this way. Mm-hmm. And then did the show. So yeah, that's great. It was a lot of fun. So there is a. a one thing I did, so the one, well, it's a long story, but one trick I did is I did a tourney store poster about the the, uh, uh, the shows at the zoo. So I tear yeah. up the little poster, and it was based on Gene Anderson's, mm-hmm. but it was just a poster. So I tear it up. I go to restore it, and as I drop it, one piece of the paper just falls from the poster <laughs> into the floor. And then years later, Scott Alexander and uh, – Keith Stickley put together mm-hmm. a bunch of funny stuff about uh, screw-ups with the magician. So years later, it ended up being <laughs> shown at a Desert Magic seminar oh, where they were great. like screw-ups of other magicians, and it was just kind of funny. But uh, Fantastic. Yeah, it was just a fun thing to do. Well, yeah, so. uh, Tom Dobrowolski, thanks so much for joining me here on the Panel Absolutely. Magic Podcast. Thanks a lot. And I do want to say real quick, and yeah. I told you a couple times, uh, and again, I want to say it once more time publicly, I appreciate yeah. Penguin doing this project. Yeah. It was one I wanted to do for a long time, and you guys did it right. So I appreciate that. Well, Help w- me do it right. 
we are really appreciative because it it came out really well. I always like hosting good magicians like yourself, I but I also that. like learning interesting material. And especially if I take something out of a lecture and put it into my own show, yeah, it's yeah. like it's like an extra win for I'm me. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks very much. Thanks, Eric. That's going to do it for this week, kids. Thanks so much to Tom for joining me on the show, and thanks to you for listening. Hey, before we go, I just want to say thank you again to all the people who sat with me in my shuffle workshop at Magic Live. I wish I could have given you all a heads up before we went, but it's always a surprise as to who's speaking at Magic Live. I can't wait to go back next year. This weekend, I'll be in San Diego, California, performing at the Prestige Magic Theater. I'm actually in their performer condo right now recording this. If you can't snag tickets to the show, be sure to stop into the bar, because when I'm done on stage, I'll be sharing some close-up magic and mysteries with anyone who's hanging out. I'm super excited to be there. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform you follow my dogs Rocco and Bellatrix on. If you want to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, you're going to have to get a bell to hang on my dog Bellatrix's collar because she is so sneaky. I swear, she is seven pounds of ninja in a five-pound dog sack. But if being on the lookout for a sneaky little rescue chihuahua isn't your thing, you can always chat with me on my Instagram, at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform.